This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to the Be Here Now guest podcast. This series features a collection of teachings and conversations centered around mindfulness, spiritual growth, and living a life in balance. Each week, our diverse network of guest teachers and hosts offer up wisdom and practices from a different spiritual path and perspective. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash donate. This guest podcast comes from the Ramdas Fellowship live streams. Each month, the fellowship gathers together to listen to and ask questions of a wisdom keeper of our time. Our goal is to focus on topics that will help us better navigate the challenges and opportunities in our lives and practice, from discovering, discerning wisdom, and cultivating a compassionate heart, to engaging in social action and dealing with negative emotions. Each guest is connected to the heart and teachings of Ramdas and offers expanded perspectives on topics he shared and cared about. Folks like Sharon Salzberg, Duncan Trussell, Krishnadas, and many, many others. To join these live streams in real time, and to find out about the many community gatherings each month, please sign up at ramdas.org fellowship, and be a part of Ramdas's future legacy by joining in sacred community. So welcome everyone. I'm really excited to be here to join all of you in this international coming together, this uh, global network of Ramdas people who are focused on loving awareness. You know, when I met Ramdas about five years ago, I saw this old guy in a wheelchair and I saw all these people flocking to him like bees to honey. And uh, it was the most incredible experience because he just opened his heart to each and every person. And you could see he was suffering. You could see his body was struggling. And, and I was so shy. I was so shy to go up and meet him. And I remember Raghu Marcus saying to me, just go up and speak to him, John. Just go up and speak to him. But I was so shy. So a friend of mine from Louisiana went up to him and introduced me. And, and then the next thing, there was this pathway opened and they said, John, come over, come meet Ram Das." And Ram Das was just there with his arms open, smiling at me. And we were on the beach in Maui. I mean, it was like a dream. So I went up to him and then we spoke and then I gave him a gift from South Africa. I gave him some beads, some beads of honor, of devotion because of the teachings that he's sharing around the world. But I think one of the things that really struck me about Ram Das was 
he didn't moan or complain about his situation, about his body and about his illness. He just really loved being in the presence of people and just really exuding and showing what he says is loving awareness. So today I want to speak about that and I want to also speak about hungry ghosts and how we heal hungry ghosts through devotion and prayer. I'm also going to speak about what hungry ghost energy is and how it's really damaging our world. But before I do that, let me just introduce, introduce myself um, as a Sangoma and what a Sangoma is. So a Sangoma is a traditional African shaman. And I was very lucky to have been apprenticed in South Africa and educated there and adopted into the closet tradition and tribe. And the way it happened for me was, was quite a long story, which is why I wrote the book Leopard Warrior. But I can, just, I can just give you a shortened version of it. So what happened with me is I had uh, the shamanic illness, which is a very old kind of traditional shamanic illness that goes back for hundreds of years or thousands of years. And it happens to people who are called to become shamans. And it's not glamorous and it doesn't... It's not um, based on your ethnicity or your gender. It doesn't matter who you are. Anyone can get it. So for many years, I was struggling with this debilitating illness. And at the same time, I was experiencing a lot of psychic, psychic awareness in the evenings. I would receive these prophetic dreams. And this went on for a number of years. And my physical body was getting weaker and weaker but yet my psychic body, my spiritual body was getting stronger. But I, I was succumbing to one illness after the next because my immune system was so weak. And um, so then I decided to go to South Korea and become a, um, or explore about becoming a monk. And, and I was a Zen student underneath um, quite a well-known Zen master called Daesun Sinim in South Korea. And Daesun Sinim invited me to become a monk and in this moment of clarity, I realized that um, my job was to go back to South Africa and vote for Nelson Mandela and then also explore the Sangoma culture. So I said, I said to Jason Sinim, no, I won't join your monk army. <laughs> so I went to South Africa, I went home and I voted for Nelson Mandela and then I went back to university and back to the Eastern Cape. And then I asked a friend of mine who's Klosser if he could organize an interview with me with a, a local Klosser Sangoma because I wanted a divination. So he said, sure, no problem. And then the next day he took me to see my teacher, my teacher-to-be, Mam Gwevu. And she, she tells the story of, of having a dream the night before she met me, she said she had a dream from the Great Spirit, Utiko. And in that dream, she said the Great Spirit told her that she must prepare herself to train someone from another culture to become a senior Sangoma like her. So the next day when I came through her gate, I still remember her sweeping up her yard and looking up. And she said in that moment when she saw me, she said, she knew that I was the one that she had to apprentice. I was the one that she had to train. So when we sat down for the divination, we just exchanged a few words and then we closed our eyes 
she went into a trance and then she spoke about my illness and she spoke about how sick I'd been. And then she came to a point where she said, you almost died from the Twaza illness, the shamanic illness. She said, what took you so long to come to me? And I said to her, apartheid. And she said, ah, she said, oh God, oh God, we almost lost you. And um, apartheid for most people, if you don't know, is, is basically means separation. So in the 80s and the 70s, for about a 50-year period, white people were not allowed into black areas. And there was a, a very strict form of social engineering in South Africa based on color lines. Unfortunately, it's all gone now um, with, with Nelson Mandela and with, uh, with a new government in 1994. So my teacher, Mam Gwewe-to-be, she invited me in that moment. She said, would you like to become my apprentice? And I said, what does it mean to be a Sangoma? And she said, to become a Sangoma means the ancestors are going to work through you in different ways and you're going to be able to heal people in all different ways. And on top of that, you're going to stop being so sick and your body's going to get stronger. She says, do you want to be my apprentice? And in that moment, I was really nervous. I was really, really nervous because I was the only white person in the whole township and I was going to be making history and also I was going to be receiving um, a, lot of, a lot of projections. So... I was nervous and I said to her, and I paused and I said, I'm not sure. And she said, become my apprentice and help many people and stop being sick, okay? And I thought for a moment, she was so clear. And I said, okay, I agree, diavuma. She says, wonderful, come tomorrow and I'll give you your first white beads. And this will be a sign that you're going to be my apprentice. And I said to her, okay. And then the next day I went back to her house and she made me my first white beads. And that's how it happened for me. So I never went looking to become a Sangoma. I never glamorized or was fascinated or overly fascinated with shamanism. I just had these very strong prophetic dreams and also this illness, this Twaza illness. So when I went back to my teacher, she wanted to introduce me to her husband, who's a tribal elder. And I remember meeting him like it was yesterday, Tata Sugwini. I went back to their house. She gave me the first, my first white beads. They sat me down and he looked into my eyes and he said, Ikaya, Ikaya ab, Ikaya lago. He says, this house is now your house. He said, you must be free. And he said to me, when my grandfather was alive, he also apprenticed a white man many years ago. And he said he used to walk barefoot. And this white man was a very good Sangoma. And this was many, many years ago. So he said, be free. This is your home. So that's how my story started. And then the rest is history. And then I wrote this book to share about cross-cultural integration to share about um, the pain of apartheid, but also to share about the beauty of healing, the beauty of shamanism, the beauty of the Sangoma tradition.
So let me speak to you about hungry ghost energy and what it is. So hungry ghost energy is basically about um, where people are wanting and wanting and wanting and they're buying lots of things and they're eating lots of food and they're consuming, but they're not filling themselves. And it comes from the old Buddhist idea of hungry ghosts. And hungry ghosts are human beings who, who die uh, but are stuck in the bardo. They're stuck in the afterlife. And I remember when I was in South Korea and I did a three-month retreat there and the snow was falling outside and there was this wonderful... Um, there was this wonderful painting next to where I was meditating. And every now and then when the meditation stopped, I would look up and I'd see this painting. And it was the painting of the hungry ghosts. And the, these people were very thin necks and very large bellies. And whatever they did, they could never satiate themselves. And they still had these thin necks and large bellies and they could never satiate their appetites or satisfy their appetites. And the way the Buddhist monks say it is that they are stuck between the next life and this. So what happens is that the monks always offer the scraps of food from each meal and the water from each meal they offer to the hungry ghosts with prayer that one day they're going to be able to satisfy themselves and then get reborn and move into the next life. So one day after one of my Ram Dass retreats, I was sitting in Maui and I was thinking about all the places I've been and all the talks I've given over 10 years. And then suddenly it hit me that the world is suffering from hungry ghost energy because human beings have this voracious appetite in terms of consuming. And this is having a very very um, serious effect on the environment. But there's a but here because we can all do something about it. This hungry ghost energy is almost like the illness of the modern world where you constantly consuming information, food, items of clothing, technology, and always thinking of what's the next update. So there's this voracious hunger to be filled inside. Now, when I'm saying that, I'm not criticizing, I'm not judging, I'm just observing. And I just want us all to pause right now and just feel what I'm saying. Because this hungry ghost energy, this voracious energy that human beings have for consuming is having a serious effect on the wilderness. So what can we all do right now to, to heal this hungry ghost energy that is around us, that's all around the human race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of culture? What can we do? And I like to see the example of the cell phone and how the cell phone came into the rural areas in South Africa when I was training. And as soon as the ring went on that little Nokia phone, everything stopped and the people would go running to answer their phones because they didn't have enough money to phone the person back. So they grabbed the phone to get that call. And in that process, the sacred ceremonies were broken. 
But there was compassion there as well from the teachers because my teacher would say, well, maybe someone is phoning a loved one and it's an urgent message. So how can we heal this hungry ghost energy? How can we heal the environment? How can we heal this incredible lust of wanting and this voracious appetite that many of us have in the modern world? One of the ways we can heal it is just to be aware of it, just to be aware of your wanting, craving energy and just pause for a moment and breathe in and breathe out. And to replace it with something. Whenever there's an illness, we have to replace it with something. So if you look at the, the beautiful Ram Das, he had this terrible stroke that left one part of his body incapacitated and he was in a wheelchair. So what did he do with that? Well, he used his energy to give to the world and to give to his community and to keep working, keep serving. So that's the way he dealt with his illness. So if you think of this hungry ghost energy, this overconsumption that, that, is, that is really affecting the world right now, the way we heal it is by treating it with spiritual practice where we fill our souls up with energy and then we don't feel that we need to buy something. We don't feel that we need to overly consume. I mean, every human being needs stuff to live, but we only need so much stuff. We don't need an overabundance of food and of things. So the first thing for each of us is just to stop and listen and feel your heart. So let's do that now. Let's do that now. I, I call on all of us right now to just listen to your heartbeat and close your eyes. And let's do a prayer to the hungry ghost energy and the hungry ghosts that are all around us in the Buddhist sense of people stuck in the bardo and who can't find their way to the next life. Let's take this seriously. So just breathing in, sitting up straight, breathing in, feeling your spine, feeling your breath, feeling your heartbeat and breathing into it. And first, I want you to feel your own wanting energy, your own craving energy, but don't judge yourself. Just to be aware of it, that's the most important thing. Just be aware of it, but don't criticize and beat yourself up. Don't do that. Just breathe into it. So I'd love, I love iPhones, and I love those updates of the next iPhone. You know, they really get us. So if you're sitting there and you're feeling, oh, jeez, I'd love that new iPhone, then just breathe into it. Just feel it. Just be aware of that craving and breathe into it. And then the next thing is I'm going to play my drum and we're going to bring in some chanting. And we're going to bring the chanting and the drumming and the breath work into that craving energy and almost give it as an offering to that craving energy. 
I remember in the early uh, 2000s, I was, I was teaching yoga in the west of Ireland and I had a yoga center, a yoga studio, and it was the beginning of this health and healing revolution in Ireland. And I remember a number of people coming to me and saying, when they start yoga, will they lose weight? And I said, if they do it seriously and concentrate, then they will. And they'd look at me in a quizzical kind of way. And I said, it's not like running or jogging. Yoga, when you're breathing through your body and you're slowing things down and you're becoming aware of your breath, the first thing it does, it satiates the craving inside of you. So if you're craving sweet things and you're craving all kinds of foods, once you're breathing to the depth of your body and your bones, that craving energy is not as strong. So people would come in the beginning to my yoga classes to lose weight. <laughs> it's the same principle with a hungry ghost energy. If you feel this perpetual wanting and neediness inside of you, then just breathe into your body, feel your heartbeat. You can put your hand on your heart now. Breathe into it. And breathe out. And then offer a prayer. So I'm going to play my drum and I'm going to offer the prayer to, to, to the Great Mother. And I'm going to say Sondela Mama, which means come closer, Great Mother. And then at some point, I'm going to change that to Sondela Rama, which means come closer, Ram, God. And that's to honor Ram Das. Because what Ram Das would do, you'd see him with his mala beads in his wheelchair and you'd be going, Ram, 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 Ram. So what is Ram Das doing? He was replacing the pain of his body, the illness that he had. He was replacing it with prayer and with devotion, chanting the name of God, of Ram. So this is what I'm offering to all of us to become aware of the craving inside of us and then to replace it with some kind of spiritual practice. And then that in itself is going to make a huge difference on the world. Because I believe in the principle of the drop of water. Each one of us listening right now can be a drop of water in the human race. It only takes one drop of water to turn a glass of water into a healing elixir or into a poison, one drop of water. So the challenge in this meeting right now is for each one of us to become that drop of water of healing, of devotion and prayer to heal this world. So let me get my drum. This is my special drum. And one of the reasons Ram Das did his retreats and worked tirelessly because he believed in his community. He believed in each one of you. And this is what he inspired in me. And I too believe in each one of you because we heal this world through individuals and each individual creates a circle. And in South Africa, we talk about Ubuntu, the circle of man, the circle of humanity. I am what I am because of who we all are. Each of us are links in a chain. So as my teacher, Mam Guevu, taught me and transmitted this healing energy to me, so 
I can do it with others. And as we hold hands, we heal ourselves and then we turn and we heal the natural world. So here's my drum all the way from South Africa. And I played this drum for Ram Dass in 2017. And we were all dancing. And he was also dancing on his wheelchair. He loved it. So here we go. I hope you enjoy this. Feel your center. Feel your breath. Feel your wanting and craving. But don't judge yourself. Just breathe into it. Here we go. Help the people to move forward. Help the people to remember their humanity. Sondela, mama, sondela, mama, sondela, mama. Feel your heartbeat. Sondela, mama, sondela, mama, sondela, sondela. Now this is for Ramdas. Sondela, Rama, sondela, Rama, sondela, sondela. Sondela Rama, Sondela Rama, Sondela Rama. Oh Rama Wam, oh Rama Wam, oh Rama, oh Rama. Sondela Rama, Sondela Rama, Sondela Rama. Sondela Rama, Sondela Rama, Sondela, Sondela. Si Angola manyang, si Angola chikawam, si Angola bazali bam, si tamago. Vuni lela manyang, vuni lela chikawam, si tamago kosiam. Sondela Rama, Sondela Rama, Sondela, Sondela. 
He laughed at death. And that is the greatest gift for all of us. Do not be overly afraid of death because when you are connected to your spirit and your soul through your heartbeat, then you will be filled inside and then the hungry ghost energy will not affect you. So this is my gift for you. This is my gift for all of us that may we honor our vulnerability and our craving and then just replace it with a prayer and with some devotional practice. Because through that devotional practice, we are filling our souls up with light and we are reminding ourselves that we are just spirits leading this physical experience and that there's no need to get overly concerned with the physical body and get overly neurotic because what's stronger than anything else is our spirit. So this is what I want to leave with all of you and, um, and then just finish off with, a, with another little meditation. So I like to do the guided heartbeat meditations. So just place your hand in your heart and breathe into it and feel your vulnerability, feel your pain. Don't be afraid of it. Feel your illness. If there's an illness you have, we are all sick with the illness of the suffering around us. And one of those sicknesses now is the pandemic. So just to sit and feel your vulnerability and your sadness and breathe into it. And then to bring in a chant, to bring in a song, to bring in some rhythm, like the one I was doing, which is Sondela Mama, Come Closer, Great Mother. Oh, mama, one more, oh, mama, one more, oh, mama, oh, mama, one, oh, mama, one more, yo, yo, oh, mama, one more. So just feeling your heart beat, and I'll just play my bowl for a moment, and I'll do a little prayer and closer, which is which means open the road, great spirit, open the road, Rama. Great ones, open the road. Help us to walk this path of, of the human race, of the human road, with dignity and compassion. And we send a prayer to all those people who are suffering right now. And we send a prayer of thanks to Ramdas and Niam Karali Baba and all the wisdom keepers who are holding us in this moment.
Feel your heartbeat, feel your breath. Respect your own pain and vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you, John. It was so lovely. All of the different pieces, the meditation, the drumming, the talk. Um, there's a couple of things that, first of all, when, when you were drumming, I, made, I wanted to get up and dance. And it reminded me of this Gabriel Roth quote. Um, and I don't know if you've heard it, but it, she talks about um, when someone's dispirited or disheartened or depressed and they would go to a traditional shaman, they would ask one of four questions, which was, when did you start stop singing? When did you stop dancing? Um, when did you uh, stop listening or enjoying silence? And when did you stop being enchanted by stories? Um, and that drumming piece was just like that that desire um, to not just sit and breathe with it, but to come up and dance with it too. Um, and I was just wondering if there was anything to that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Oh, and that makes sense. I mean, when I first went on tour to the U.S., um, I remember in New York, I was in New York and... Um, and there's just a small group of people. I think it was about seven or eight people. And I had my, my beautiful drum, which I've got here. And I remember drumming and getting everyone up dancing. And a number of amazing things happened, even though it was just eight people. Mm-hmm. The first thing I noticed that everyone got into the dancing and the rhythm and they all took it seriously and they all looked exhilarated. And then afterwards, I think every single one of them booked a private session, every single one of them, which I was blown away by. And then the next day, I got an email from someone who said that they had dreamt about their ancestors. And then I got another dream of another person who said the same thing. And I thought, this is so mysterious because here I'm in America, so far away from South Africa. And then when I went to Mexico, the same thing happened. And then suddenly a pattern started developing. And I realized that when I'm playing this drum and I get people to dance, one of the medicines that I help people connect with is earth medicine. And, you know, we are all electrical rods and circuits and we have to be connected to the earth. Otherwise we become unstable. So like any electrical system, if it's not earthed, it becomes unstable. So human beings who are stuck with their phones and their computers and they're not dancing or taking their shoes and socks off and just just stepping on the earth then there's something out of balance that starts to happen. So when I play my drum, even if people just listen to it online and they feel the rhythm and they stand up and they dance, straight away they are being earthed. 
they are being centered. And when they are centered and earthed, then there's a greater likelihood that they will remember their dreams, they'll connect with their ancestors, and they will see their life path a little bit more clearly. <laughs> so you, you brought up the ancestors several times, and I know it's uh, part of the tradition in a big way. And I have a curiosity. Um, early, as you were talking about the hungry ghost, which is coming from sort of this Buddhist tradition, it reminds me a lot of um, like addiction in our culture, like how much addiction there is. Yeah. And there's that whole, yeah. um, like we fill up with everything, money, love, food, sex, drugs, TV, every, anything, right? Yeah. Um, and this like, uh, someone recently was, she gave me, she's like, just ask yourself, is it enough? In this moment, is it enough? And whenever I do that, I'm like, yes. It is. And it sort of help get, gets me out of that craving. Um, but I'm wondering in your tradition, um, if there's like this idea, where does the craving stem from? Why, why is there this like culture of craving? I know in the yoga tradition, there's like um, raga and devesha, right? Like attachment and aversion um, is just sort of part of the human condition. But I have the sense there's something with the ancestors. I, I'm not sure, but I'm curious um, what your tradition says about that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in the Southern African traditions, it's we don't have so many like Dharma talks and we don't, it's not so vocal. It's mm. more lots of songs and chanting. And then we get teachings through our dreams, you know, through connecting with the spirit world. And then when you have a close relationship with elders, then they might share a few things with you, but it's not so didactic. It's not so much like we're going to give you a teaching. It's more like like life stories. They'll give stories. And that's mm -hmm. the way you hear um, the teachings. So what I could say is, is from the Southern African perspective, what we would say is that the people are not listening. Mm -hmm. If you're not listening, you're not listening to your spirit and you're not listening to your ancestors, then you're going to get sick. So the first thing they say is mamela amanyange which means listen to your ancestors. And when we say the word ancestor, we don't literally just mean your blood and bone foreparents. We mean listen to the spirits that are coming into your dreams that are speaking to you. What are they saying? You know, listen to them. And if you can't hear what they're saying to you, then you need to go on pilgrimage. You need to pray. You need to be still. You need to be quiet. And you need to get a white candle and just be quiet and pray and open your heart and feel your heart, feel your heartbeat. Um, so it's very, very simple grounding exercises of spiritual activity and action. I mean, some things, what they might do, some of the some of the elders, they might say to someone who's very sick and not connected to their ancestors or their spirits, they might say to them, go to the sea and bathe in the seawater. And while you're in the water, call on the great spirit Utiko to open your heart and help you to feel your grief. Because often when people can't feel their dreams, it's because they are overwhelmed with grief and their hearts just become a little bit stagnant because of suffering and grief. Someone just asked what for a one of the questions that just came through 
was clear advice on how to connect to your ancestors. And I think you just answered that. So that was well-timed. But yeah, there is. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's many ways to connect with your ancestors and I'm going to be doing a webinar on that um, in a few weeks' time so people can have a look on my website for that. But in a simple way, I can say that, um, you know, we each of us have three groupings of ancestors and that's where the teachings that I've been baptized in are, are similar to the Ramdas teachings or the yogic teachings. So the, the three groupings of ancestors are, the first is your mother's people. So that I'd say that's the left, the left side. And then the right is your father's people because each human being comes from two lineages, your mom and dad. And then there's a third grouping of ancestors and we call them the adopted ancestors. So these are the wisdom keepers that come to us in our dreams, that baptize us or where we go and we follow a different tradition that is not connected to us in blood. So it's like me with my Kosa family and the Sangoma family um, in South Africa. And it's also a bit like with Ram Dass um, becoming a, a, a yoga teacher and, um, and following Niam Karali Baba and that whole lineage. So that would be his third grouping of ancestors. So each person has that to a certain extent. So you could also see people... Um, in the Ramdas community who are following the teachings of Ramdas and Niam Krali Baba, they are connected to that third grouping of ancestors. But they will become unbalanced as a human being if they don't just honor their mother's people and father's people. So this is what we have to do. We have to live in balance and never forget who the people are that, that sacrifice their lives for you. And that would be your mom's people and your dad's people. And when we pay them respect, we don't have to worship them, but just pay some respect to them. It feeds our lifeblood and it teaches us tobekile, which in English means humility. Beautiful. It reminds me of this really brilliant uh, meditation that someone brought me three years ago, which was to imagine yourself sitting at the base of a stadium and on your right side, was your father and the like idealized perfect aspect of your father and the same on um, your left was your mother's and then behind them their parents doing the same thing and then behind them their parents doing the same thing until you have this incredible stadium of ancestors behind you mm. and then the thing the um, meditation was somewhere in there someone knew how to love and that's coming through to you somewhere in there someone knows how you know, the things that you feel are lacking, like they're, they're coming through regardless. Um, but I love that meditation. Yeah. Um, you, you spoke about dreams um, as well and the power of dreams. And I know a lot of people in this community that uh, they get darshan from Neem Karoli Baba and Ram Dass through dreams. Yeah. And so would you speak a little bit about the power of dreams? Yeah, that's beautiful. I know you and I were speaking about this before, Jackie, and, and just for the listeners, I can share that um, before Raghu Marcus invited me to, to meet Ramdas, I, I had just come across Ramdas's teachings through psychology because I, I studied psychology at university in South Africa. And then when I met Ramdas, then I started to dream about him. So before each retreat or like a number of months before each retreat, I would have these profound dreams about him and it was like some kind of transmission. And in the Sangoma world, 
there's different kinds of dreams and those dreams that wake you up, that make you feel alive, that humble you, that really make you connect to life. Those are the dreams that we are taught to, to really pay strong attention to and to write them down and to listen to them and to meditate on them. So that was part of my apprenticeship and part of my training. And then when I'd have interviews with my, with my teacher, my closer teacher, through the interviews, um, she got me to see which of those dreams to pay attention to and which of those dreams to just let go as being uh, not exactly frivolous, but not having the, the truth and the meaning that, that, that I'm looking for. So the practice of dreaming and listening to the dreams is really like, uh, it's like a meditation practice in itself. And then every now and then we have a dream that just really shakes us to our core and wakes us up. And those are those dreams that, that really give us a glimpse, we say, into the world of the great dreamer. We say Kamata. So the Bushman people in Southern Africa would say this world is a dream being dreamt by the great dreamer. And every now and then we'll get a dream where we get to see behind the stage and we get to see the conductor mm. of the events of this play of life. And those are the dreams that really start to instill uh, wisdom inside of us, where we get to see the conductor, the great dreamer, and we get to see the flow of life. Mm. And, um, and that's how you get to meet spiritual teachers who come along your way and teach you various things um, because you're ready to hear what they have to say. And our next job is to listen to what they're saying, listen to the dreams and take some kind of action and then over time, these dreams change. Mm-hmm. And the action, does it come through the dreams or? The action is sometimes we have to take some kind of action because if you just have dreams mm-hmm. and you don't listen to your dreams and you don't take the necessary action, then it's just a dream. Okay, I'll give an example, Jackie. Let me give just a very simple example. So I go to my first retreat of the Ramdas, okay, where um, the wonderful uh, Raghu Marcus invited me to the retreat, and that was, I think it was 20, 2016. So I had my experience, met Ramdas, wonderful, and then I go back home to South Africa. And then what happened? I had another very, very powerful dream about Ramdas. So then it was actually an invitation for me to go back and do another retreat with him. But I was shy, you know, to go back. So I felt the dream and I felt that I'm being invited back and that I need to get my body back to Hawaii, which meant a plane ticket, it meant transport accommodation, and it also meant um, having a chat with Raghu and seeing if I could go again. And so a lot of physical steps had to go in in order for me to get back to receive Darshan again with Ramdas. If I didn't listen to the dream, I wouldn't have gone back to the second retreat and I wouldn't have developed that relationship with him and also learned these beautiful teachings. So this is where the action has to happen with our dreams. If we don't take some kind of action where the dream is calling us, then it's just a dream. It's at a certain level. We have to do the footwork. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not yeah. a dream footwork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Few questions that have come in from the audience members um, that I want to make sure that I ask right away. And by the way, if you're out there listening, you can ask questions by typing into the chat, just a reminder, or if you joined late, and then um, it will come to us. 
Um, one of the questions is how do we honor, and this is going back to the previous question, um, how do we honor and respect our maternal and paternal lineage while not taking on their emotional baggage and anxiety? I think it's a good question. And one of the ways to honor um, our ancestors and our lineages is just to light a white candle for them and to, um, to light a stick of incense and, and just to say thank you. You know, I saw this happening at a Buddhist temple when I was in Singapore. And the one aspect of Buddhism that didn't really get translated well in the West and that is to do with ancestors. And it's got to do with the Sangha. So the Sangha is not just those people you meditate with and have nice cups of tea with. The Sangha is actually your ancestors. So when I was with um, at the Singapore um, Buddhist Center, they would light sticks of incense for the Sangha and for the Buddha and the Dharma, and the Sangha represented their ancestors. So you don't have to do a big song and dance and get neurotic about your ancestors. All you have to do is just say thank you for your struggles. Thank you for bringing me into this world through your sacrifice. Mm -hmm. and, and when you start to develop your practice like that, then your, your meditation practice improves because then you're bringing in the spirit of humility and grace. Mm -hmm. Love that. Um, someone asked, Renee asks also about the value of sitting and meditating on a dream um, or the ancestors, I'm adding that piece, um, or thought versus just meditating and following the breath? Well, when I'm saying meditating on a dream, um, I, I can be very clear about that. With my own meditation practice, I'm meditating, I'm doing my Zen style meditation, you know, following the breath, listening to the heartbeats, feeling the physical sensations. So it's a mindfulness Zen practice. That's what I do. Um, my practice to do with dreams, I'll be sitting with a pen and paper and just looking at the birds and feeling the dream and then just writing the dream out and then watching the birds and just sitting maybe with a cup of tea or coffee and just feeling the dream. It's a different kind of meditation. It's very relaxed. It's very open. And sometimes for me, what helps to open the dream is literally just watching the birds and watching the wind and watching nature and then making a few notes. So that's my dream meditation. I love that. You've used that example several times while we've been talking about watching the birds. And yeah. there's been times in my life where watching the birds has been the most healing thing. It's like it, everything else falls away in that presence that I try and strive for sometimes. Like it just allows it to emerge and with such ease and grace and beauty. Yeah, yeah. And you know, nature is the nature and the animal world are the powerful, they are the gurus, you know, and we have to really listen to the gurus. We have to listen to nature and then they teach us everything we need to know. If we can listen. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Becca asks a question about lucid dreaming and if it's useful to connect with and learn from our ancestors. Um, is it useful to connect with lucid dreams? Yeah, well, so using like develop, I'm guessing what she's asking is developing lucid dreaming as a way to um, have those powerful dreams come through, to connect with the ancestors, to, to listen more deeply. I think, 
Yeah, yeah, you know, people have different gifts when it comes to dreaming. So if you have a natural gift where you are lucid in your dreams, when you wake up in your dreams and you're re- you are aware that you are dreaming, it's a very powerful time to practice. So what I recommend in those moments is to develop a mantra or um, develop some kind of practice where you honor the wisdom keepers, and then you call on those wisdom keepers, whether it's Niam Karali Baba or Ram Das or, or one of these powerful teachers, to give you a teaching and to help you connect with your humanity. And then in those moments to just, just say thank you to your ancestors, you know, just say thank you to your mother's people, give their name and say thank you to your father's people, and then call in the wisdom keepers whether it's the Rinpoche's, the Buddhists, shamans, you know, just call in those, those wisdom keepers to, to teach you. Yeah. So earlier someone asked, um, and they said that question was answered, but I feel like what you just brought up was uh, sort of an important segue, that there's, there's so many different paths and finding the one that's right for you um, through all of that information. Um, and you talked about the, the three types of ancestors and one of them sort of being that adopted lineage um is it sort of does it feel like real open is there anything that you um, have to say about that yeah and i think this is part of the consumption of this world and all the noise so i just want to say to everyone i'm giving you and sharing my story with you and how i became a sangoma and how the transmission of wisdom came to me but it's just my path. It's not better than your path. It's not better than anyone's path. It's just the way it happened for me. The most important thing for each person listening right now is for you to follow your own path, to listen to your own heart. And if you don't know what your path is, then the first thing you should do is just close your eyes and put your hand on your own heartbeat and breathe into that. And then call on the great mother, the goddess, call on the great spirit, the great dreamer, to just show you what your path is and how you can develop your humanity, your spirituality. And then you can light a candle for your mother's ancestors and your father's. And then just ask, ask for a way to be shown to you. And then during the day and during your dreams, watch the signs that are coming to you. I mean, I started Zen meditation not because I was looking for it. The same with my Sangoma. I wasn't looking for it. I was in the South African army and my my patient just died and he'd been in a coma for six weeks. And I prayed. I said, God, Jesus, please show me a way where I can learn how to deal with suffering. And I was said it very seriously and I was very upset because it was, a, it was terrible to watch my patient um, die over six weeks. And then within two weeks, a friend of mine came to me and he said, I've started Zen, Zen meditation with, with, a, with, a, with a Zen nun. And I said, what's Zen? And he said, well, Zen is um, something that shows you how to deal with suffering and how to find a way of, of, of dealing with your humanity and dealing with suffering. So I was like, great, I'll do it. So that's how it happened for me because I was listening to the signs of life. And that's what each of us need to do. Listen to the signs of life around you, but listen to your own heart first. 
Brilliant. And it brings up two questions for me. And I'm going to start with the heart piece first. I think we've, many of us have heard that saying of the, long, the um, longest path is the six inches from the head to the heart. Um, and this idea of connecting to our hearts. And in this culture of um, I-ness and separation um, and the hungry ghosts, um, this talk is about devotion as well. So would you talk a little bit about how to develop the connection to hearts, when, especially when we feel really separate from it? That's good. Um, it's a good question. I think the first way to develop a connection to your heart is just to start meditating on your heart. So literally get your hand and put it on your heartbeat and just feel the beauty of the rhythm and fall in love with that rhythm. Just feel that rhythm. Just feel it. And then the next thing is to see um, what can you be grateful for in your life. And I remember giving a talk to people in, in Philadelphia around a fire and this one lady she, she asked a similar question. So I said to her, go and volunteer in a pediatric unit and see the suffering there in the pediatric unit and just see if you can help in some way, just in some simple way, helping people who are suffering. And I'm telling you, within 24 to 48 hours, you will feel grateful for your life and your heart will open. So sometimes volunteering, volunteering and helping people who are less fortunate than you is one of the quickest ways to connect with your hearts and connect with your calling or helping animals that are suffering. You know, there's so many animals in this world that are suffering terribly. And if you devote yourself to helping an animal that's suffering or animals that are suffering, it's one of the quickest ways to actually center yourself and feel the sacredness of life. Because that's what we're talking about here. We are talking about the sacredness of life. And when Ram Das had his stroke, he experienced a moment of grace mm. because when he woke up, he was alive. And just the fact that he was alive opened his heart and he was so happy to be alive. And he experienced this epiphany of grace. And this is how each of us can experience grace is by seeing what, what can we be grateful for? What can we do to help those around us? And that was so much a big piece of the teachings of seva, right? Of service, of karma yoga, of showing up for others and the interconnectedness. And, and when we see the sacredness of life, we see that we're part of it as well. But we have to be careful. There's a little, there's a little clause there, which I just need to mention as a little disclaimer <laughs> that is no good going and volunteering if you are in incredible pain emotionally and are vulnerable and upset and completely beside yourself with grief. Don't do that. Respect your own vulnerability, respect your own pain. And sometimes it means we need to just open up and just tell someone who's close to us or even phone a helpline and just speak to another human being and just saying, I'm, I'm in pain, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, and then that can be the first way of, of actually opening your heart. It's a bit like someone who's an alcoholic. And the first thing they have to do is just accept that they are an alcoholic and they need help. And then that moment of grace comes in. So that's the first thing we have to do um, to heal hungry ghost energy is to 
feel it inside ourselves and then to ask for that grace of the wind, Mm. of nature, of the birds to fill us inside. Mm. Um, I'll get to my other question after this, but Penelope writes, is it possible that my destiny is to walk alone? I think she's referring back to our last question about um, various traditions. She said, I've done so many practices and walked so many paths and don't feel a connection with God ancestors. The longing for the connection is painful. Yeah, yeah, I can feel that. And all I can say is that you need to just keep going because sometimes um, we have to go on many pilgrimages to feel that connection. But sometimes you don't have to walk far. Just open the window and look at the birds and just feel the beauty of those little creatures And if God can look after one sparrow in the heights of a Canadian winter, then all of us can be looked after by the Great Spirit. And all we have to do is just welcome that in. So this is where I think sometimes working with nature and working with animals and just meditating on the animal world can also give a lot of strength and and also a lot of humility and teach us about grace. You know, because we are living in this fast-paced technological world, we forget how to notice the power of grace. And grace is that ephemeral energy that touches people, that touches life. Um, And sometimes when you start to observe the natural world and observe the changing seasons and the wild geese leaving for the winter and returning, and the little creatures coming up from the earth, and noticing these things is the first way of really sparking grace inside of us. Um, the sparrow reference reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not sure if that was what you were pointing to, but I love that the living oh. field um, that every everything is taken care of by God. It's basically the gist. Um, so the other question that came up earlier was uh, the question of prayer. You were talking about your prayer to Jesus in that moment. Um, and I'm curious just about prayer from your perspective, how it works. What is it? So true prayer, in my perspective and the way I was taught in South Africa, is where you give of yourself. You're not asking and wanting as such. You can maybe make a prayer of help me understand suffering or this person is sick, please heal them, you know, something like that. But true prayer is where you 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 go into a place of, we say, tobekile, which means humility. And you just offer yourself, you give yourself away in prayer. Um, so it's a bit like for, for people in the community who have witnessed Krishna Das chanting. Um, I mean, he's incredible, you know, and, and, and he just sparks everyone to, to, to chant and just give yourself away. And when you're giving yourself away with, with, with speech and using words and prayer, then then there's energy in your prayers. There's, there's, there's a vitality in your prayers. But if you're praying from a place of wanting and you want this and that, and you, 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 you're not kind of in, in your spirit, 
then that's another kind of prayer. So in a way, um, we all have to learn to pray, to pray with our spirit. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned this in South Africa with my Krosa family because we would, we would be woken in the middle of the night with my Krosa teacher praying. And she would wake up in a dream and she would be screaming and shouting. In our, in our culture, in Western culture, you would say she's screaming and shouting. But in Krosa culture, she is speaking with spirit and she is speaking to God and she is alive and she is awake. And I remember shouting, her, she was shouting in Krosa and she goes, I'm She'd be like shouting like this. And all the children in the house would wake up and they'd hear their grandmother praying and then they'd fall asleep again. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I realized that she is speaking from her spirit. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what touched me with prayer. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, when you talked about um, giving self away, I heard it as like the ego dissolving, the I-ness, the, the sense of I-ness dissolving and from the prayer coming from there um, versus that small self. Yeah, yeah. And enjoy it. You know, to pray, you know, you want to give yourself away, but you want to do it in a way that, you know, you, you want to enjoy it. You want to, like, give it away. You don't want to feel that you're being flagellated and beaten up and all that, you know. You want to just give yourself away the joy. Yeah, there's <laughs> another teacher who talked about grief and um, praise and prayer and that, um, you know, how in this culture around grief, we're very um, stoic and that in other cultures, there's the wailing and the keening and the pulling of the hair and that that's the prayer. Like that's the, the tears that the ancestors um, go to the other side on. Um, but in that, that mm. image of your grandmother waking up and the, um, the prayer coming through in that um, loud way. Oh, it seems really brilliant. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't go to a funeral like that. It's not the way it would happen. In fact, it's the opposite. In a funeral, like when I heard her sister died, I arrived at the house Mm -hmm. And I was helping with her sister who was very, very sick, very, very sick. And I just rushed back to the house because I was called back. And I walked into the house and everyone was silent. I mean, it was a room full of people. And my teacher was just sitting quietly, like, like a rock. Mm -hmm. And no one was crying. Everyone was quiet. And then someone just quietly said to me, Umakaz, Uswalega. They said, Mama, they mentioned the name of, of her sister and she said she has just passed. Mm. And everyone was like in a state of mindfulness and witnessing, just really quiet. Mm. Mm. So, you know, different cultures deal with grief in different ways. And I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Ruthie writes, I have been very confused since I retired and your teachings are helping me tre tremendously. How does one find a teacher? I know this seems presumptuous, but do you take apprentices? Do I take apprentices? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> um, I can say that um, I have monthly webinars and people come and listen to the teachings and take part. And I think the most important thing for a teacher um, is the most important thing for a student is to, to do the practices and listen to your heart and listen to your dreams. And then if you find a teacher that, 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 that 
works for you and that opens your heart, then just spend time with that teacher. You know, spend time like um, I was called to go to 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 work with Ram Das because I dreamt about him. So then I made the effort to go and spend time with him. So whenever a teacher, whenever you dream about a teacher or you're feeling this energy for a teacher, don't expect the teacher to come to you. You need to make the effort to go to that teacher. So either go online and listen to their teachings, read their books, um, go on to their seminars. But the job of the student is to follow the teacher and to um, and to listen to what they say. And then the job of the teacher is to listen to the student. <laughs> That's great. Um, any advice for people who don't remember their dreams? Yeah, it's a big one, that's and that's part of this 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 um this illness in our time, you know. Um so I think the first thing is to is to create some space before you go to sleep at night mm-hmm. um, where you're not being distracted and maybe do a bit of mindfulness meditation, maybe have a bath, relax your body, and and then just to get an ordinary pen and paper and put it next to your bed. And just to make that affirmation that you want to remember your dream, anything from the night you want to remember. And then also to pray, to, to connect with God, with the great dreamer, um, with your higher self, and just say very simply with your hand and your heart, I, I would like to remember my dreams. Mm-hmm. And, and then take it from there, you know. And then when you wake up in the morning, it's very important to not wake up and to go rushing around the world in a quick way, but to wake up gently. And, and what I try to do is not to turn my phone on for, for the first hour or even two hours of, of, of waking up, just so that I can um, integrate the dreams that have come from the night before. That's very important because in that gap between, between waking, when you wake up, if you don't give yourself enough time to integrate the dreaming, then you're going to forget them. You're not going to remember them. So that's an important part is how you wake up. Great. That's great. So apparently lots of folks are commenting on the elephants in the background. Oh. Uh, We need to wrap up here in a few minutes. So I just, uh, as one of the last questions, want to ask about the photo. Can you tell us about the photo in the background? Yeah, the photo is, um, it's from from Addo Elephant Park. um, And that's uh, an elephant park in the Eastern Cape where I'm from. So I, I took that around a watering hole and, um, yeah, in the Eastern Cape in South Africa. You know, it's very beautiful. And for those people who are interested in Africa, uh, I run a, a retreat every year in the Kalahari, um, in Botswana, Kalahari Desert. And I'm hoping to be able to do one next year in 2022. So the dates are on my website and, um, you know, God willing and the pandemic, um, hopefully it'll be okay for next year. Someone asks, what's one of the most important lessons you've learned from observing wildlife? To listen. You know, they teach us how to listen and to pay attention. Yeah. And to be slow, you know, not to be quick, just to to be humble and to just be in the moment and to really watch them. Because, you know, the animals are watching us. You know, we're watching them with our cameras and making noises with our cameras and everything else. But, you know, what would happen if we just put our cameras down and just sent them love without trying to take something from them? 
and because they're watching us. So if we watch them and send them love, see what happens. The animals will come closer. That's my experience. They say when uh, a human walks into a forest, like just the way that our footprints hit or how we walk, will like the animal kingdoms, like something's different. What's going on? Someone's in the woods. I love that image. Every time I walk into a woods, I'm like, oh, they know I'm here. But we can change it, you know. You know, we can change. That's the thing about a human being. You know, we are adaptable. We can change. If we're aware that there's something that's not feeling right for us and we, are, we, we clock it, you know, we are aware of it, then we just change. We change, you know. We change in a way that's more harmonious. Um, one last question. I think I've got them all. Um, are there any specific practices? You talked about the heart and listening um, are there books or something we can reference? Well, I've got my book, Leopard Warrior. <laughs> and I've also got my audio teachings, which is The Way of the Leopard. And in those teachings, um, I go into the details of the heartbeat meditation and how to do it. Um, other than that, I don't know any other teachings that work with the heart in the particular way that I'm, I, I do. So I, I'm sorry I don't know any others. <laughs> And then just one other person asks, um, we talked about it in the beginning, but he was a little bit confused, he or she was a little bit confused about the adoptive ancestors. Would you mind just sort of talking about that for a second before we close up? Yeah, you know, the adopted set of ancestors is really, um, I'm, just, I'm just making it clear for people who maybe, um, maybe look at, at, say, someone like me who's, who's in the Crosso tribe, but um, I'm an adopted member of the tribe and I'd get, I'd get lots of dreams that, um, where the Crosso ancestors come and speak to me. So they would be my adopted ancestors. And in the same way, if someone follows a Buddhist path and they are brought up in, say, New York City and they follow Tibetan Buddhism, but yet they're from the Bronx and both parents are brought up there. Um, you'd be like, you know, how did that happen? So then I would explain that that the adopted set of ancestors, those people have come to you and called you to 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 train an apprentice. Um, and often this happens when maybe there's not enough wisdom teachings in your um, in your bloodlines, you know, your mother's line and family's line. Maybe there's not enough spiritual juice or wisdom to help you grow spiritually. So then an adopted set of ancestors would come to you in their dreams and they would start guiding you and teaching you. A bit like what's happened to Ram Das as well, you know, how he was, um, he went to India and, and then he met Niam Karali Baba and then that gave him food. You know, that he found his adopted set of ancestors or wisdom keepers that fed him. So sometimes we are, we are fed um, in terms of our souls, are fed not necessarily, not necessarily just through our, our, our bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it comes through an adopted set of wisdom keepers. Yeah. And I just want to note that you and Ramdas, you like you honor and acknowledge where it, these adopted ancestors are coming from. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. So I'm not claiming them. I'm claiming as being adopted and they adopted me. But I'm also, an important thing here, I just want to mention to everyone, is very important that you never forget your bloodlines. So our 
always mention my mother and father um, when I'm doing my practices in a ceremonial way because they're the ones who've, who've supported me, you know. So that's important for everyone, you know. That's great. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I'm really excited. I think you're going to um, take us out with a song. Is that yeah. right? But before we do, I just want to make a couple of announcements. Um, and the first is just a great big thank you. It's so so lovely to have this conversation with you um, and to bring it to the community as well. And if there's people on the back end that make this happen. So big thank you to JR and Mangala and mm. Rachel and all of our social media people. And then a thank you for all the people that have tuned into this and the ways that we connect through the ethers in this song together. Yeah. Um, we do offer these things for free, um, but it's really helpful if you're able to support this as well as all the other free offerings we do. So if you want to donate, you can go to ramdos.org slash donate. You can rewatch this live stream and share with all of your friends. Um, mm. There's lots of amazing live streams, including the music live streams um, that you can find at rondos.org slash live streams dash replay. And uh, for those of you who are not signed up to be part of the fellowship, which is where we meet and discuss topics associated to Ramdas's teachings, as well as we have affinity groups and other things, make sure you sign up at rondos.org slash fellowship. And you've talked a little bit about your trip coming up and your book and your website, are there some other things you want people to know about? Um, I think, you know, I also offer private sessions for people and I do mentoring, you know, so uh, mentoring where it's private sessions and it's to help people basically, you know, connect to their soul and connect to their heart and their dreams and ancestors. So, you know, if people really feel called, then you can just contact me through via my, my, my website and, um, and I, I could say I offer private sessions and, and I really enjoy, I really enjoy working with people. So it's, it's an honor for me to, to do this work. So thank you. So much gratitude. So much gratitude. And I'm excited to hear this song. Yeah. And thank you, Jackie, for, for holding the space so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought, I thought I'd probably just bring my drumming in a little bit more because, it has such good earth medicine, and um, so here we go. So as I'm playing my drum, uh, you can put your hand on your heart and you can feel the vibration through your hands and feel your feet. And um, yeah, I'm just going to play and see what comes through. Oh, 
Thank you. Thank you so much. What an incredible gift you gave to us all tonight. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.